In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over some of the moves the Sixers have made to flesh out the rest of their roster from signing Paul Reed to a two-way contract, signing Dwight Howard, Justin Anderson, Ryan Brokoff, and Derek Walton Jr. Uh, we then go over how we think the lineup is going to shape out, uh, what the strengths and weaknesses are, and what they might prioritize at the trade deadline in a couple of months. Just a quick reminder, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixersbeat for a discounted offer on a yearly subscription. And also, if you can, please do leave us a rating or a review for this podcast, especially in Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate it. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We haven't had a whole lot, to be honest, since our last podcast. Uh, the Sixers came in with a flurry of activity on draft night and then haven't had a whole lot since then. Rounded out the roster with some, you know, guys that will come in and out of, of camp. Uh, I think they now have, what, 14 guaranteed contracts, three non-guaranteed contracts, and the two two two-ways. Notably, I think for a lot of people listening to the podcast, brought in Justin Anderson on a, um, was a partial guarantee for year one? Yep, two-year prob- deal. Probably should have looked that up before starting to talk about it, but bring in Justin Anderson, former Sixer, former process Sixer. Mm, is he a process? No, he was post-process. He was a Colangelo. Oh, right. Nerlens, fake draft pick. Come on, Derek. Not, not on the top of my game. Bring in Justin Anderson, a previous Sixer, and uh, yeah, that's nice. It's it's fine. I mean, it's a familiar face, and he is somebody who theoretically could fit into the bigger wing hole that they uh, that they have on this team. He is uh, he's certainly a pretty physical guy, stout guy at six six. He uh, he hasn't done a whole hell of a lot since leaving the Sixers, but um, you know, as far like as far as a partial guarantee goes, I think that's fine. I was a uh, I don't know. I, I guess at some point, and maybe I'm, I'm going a little bit off track here, as the news has, uh, has broken, I believe Mike Scotto had it, that uh, that Glenn Robinson signed a one-year $2 million deal with the Sacramento Kings. I, I would have liked a little more interest in him. I think that would have been a, a reasonable price, but I guess the Sixers really just, they, they weren't all that interested. As for Anderson, that's a decent flyer, but... Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess that's like the one thing in this off season where I, I would have I would have paid Glenn Robinson one year three million. Yeah, yeah, and who knows? Maybe they're keeping the um, you know the taxpayer mid level exception available for buyout market uh, when that comes around later this year. Is that super valuable? I, I, I was interested in that. I mean, D- Daryl sort of alluded to that in saying that well, we don't want to use all of our buyouts now, and I know that. Uh, that if you have more of the mid-level, you can bid more. Is there yeah. is there is there any other way you can use it? I mean, theoretically, that is the main way. Like, we talked about that a lot a couple of years ago. I think it was, what, Wes Matthews that they wanted to add on at the buyout market and ended up going to the Pacers. You know, a lot of times, those players, the extra money's nice, but I think the role and the opportunity to play a meaningful role on a playoff team is probably going to be the overriding factor. And I guess maybe with Matthews, he thought he could have a bit of, 
bigger role in Indy, position himself better for that next contract. So I think the, I mean, that, that, that's certainly the main way, main thing you would use it on is, 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 is buyout. Yeah. Yeah. Know, but yeah, you're typically look, you're typically looking for the next contract is right. what, what you're doing in the right. buyout or, or to win a title if you're on like the very last legs of your career. But I agree with you. I, I think Glenn Robinson is a more useful player than Justin Anderson. Like you said, Justin Anderson left, played 10 minutes per game with Atlanta, another 10 minutes per game, really a, you know, infrequent part of Brooklyn's rotation just has not done a whole lot here uh, since leaving the Sixers. Sort of a theoretical 3 and D guy, but doesn't shoot the three and his defense is a little spastic. Um, we'll see, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, t- 29% NBA three-point shooter. He is a 77% free throw shooter. Not a lot of volume on either one of those things for a guy yeah. who you know, has, has been in the league for five years at this point. Certainly, uh, was a popular guy in the locker room. He was Joel's buddy for sure. Um, so I, I guess, you know, as far as like, um, you know, taking a flyer and giving a, a, basically a partial guarantee to a guy like that, I don't really have a problem with it, even though, uh, I'm, I'm not like, uh, super optimistic that, that he's going to be in the, the rotation come playoff time. Yeah, I mean, look, you're, you're talking about, for the 15th spot, um, three guys with either non-guarantees or partial guarantees. You've got Justin Anderson, two-year deal, but only a partial guarantee on the first year. Uh, Ryan Brokoff, who was very briefly with the team over the summer, uh, who is now back on a one-year non-guaranteed contract. And then Derek Walton Jr., who is on a one-year non-guaranteed deal as well. Those three are sort of fighting for the 15th roster spot. They also have you know, Paul Reed, uh, the 58th pick in the draft out of DePaul. And Dakota Mathias uh, on two-way contracts. As a reminder, those two two-way contracts are separate. They do not count against the the 15-man regular season roster. So you're really talking about Anderson, Brokoff, and Walton Jr. vying for that last 15th roster spot, at least as it stands right now. Derek Walton Jr., good college point guard. I don't think he can really hang at this level. I don't expect him to make the team. And Ryan Brokoff. Once again, I don't, I don't really, I mean, I guess he is a threat, but I would probably put Justin Anderson as the front runner just because theoretically he can physically compete at this level. Um, but he really hasn't done a whole lot. I will say, I think a lot of times we tend to focus on the 15th roster spot just because it's interesting, but I, if, if it's Anderson, if it's broke off, um, if either one's playing any real meaningful minutes, you're, um, you're pretty far up Shit's Creek. Yeah. Shit's Creek, which won like every Emmy. <laughs> apparently, I, I have not watched that. Um, did watch Queen's Gambit, which is pretty good. But it's two uh, two two episodes in a row now that you've mentioned Queen's Gambit. I will have to get on that. Yeah, it is it is good. So the the thing I, I was thinking with that uh, with that fifteenth roster spot is that it, it's probably good news for uh, for Mike Scott at this point because man, like I don't really see a backup four on this team outside of like the, the two starters who can play the four right now, like Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris can defend uh, that position. I would imagine they're going to play on the floor a lot together. They did in, in past years. And that's not to say that, uh, that Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey and, you know, whoever makes the rotations with this team can, uh, can stagger their minutes. But I don't know. I think Mike Scott has a, has a chance to, be in the rotation at the start of the season, yeah. which 
you know, I think as we've noted on past pods, he's not the worst fit in the world with Embiid just because he does have a level of gravity from a couple feet from beyond the three-point line and the fact that uh, pretty much anybody can play with Embiid because he's yeah. awesome. But, like, you know, that's I guess I guess that's what Daryl said that hey look the roster is not going to uh to be like a completely finished product at the beginning of the season and I would say that like Mike Scott being in the rotation potentially would be evidence of that a because sign of that yeah yep. because they didn't fill the role yeah you're right they went from I'm, look they still have a lot of players who can play the four and like you said it's, it's mostly in that starting group before they went from Al Horford and Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. And Mike Scott, and you had a whole bunch of these, and even Glenn Robinson a little bit in an undersized role. But you had a whole bunch of these guys who could defend the four. You took away um, Al Horford, and all of a sudden a lot of minutes there opened up. And, you know, I think this is a more logical way to build a team. You know, I think one of the benefits of Ben Simmons has always been that he can defend one through four. So that means you can be real um, opportunistic on who you go out and get, and you can really build a team that has a lot of shooting and ball handling even if he doesn't do it himself, because you can go out there, he can defend, you know, the four while handling the ball, and, and there's just a whole bunch you can do with that. So I think they more went in that direction. It has cost them some minutes defending the power forward spot. We will see how they, you know, maybe that opens opens things up for Mike Scott. I think the rotations are going to be real interesting. Yeah. Uh, and and you wrote a, a piece on this recently over at theathletic.com slash Sixers. Again, $1 a month, not getting any cheaper. It will be, you know, especially because when you start talking about Dwight Howard and another, you know, those Simmons-Howard minutes are going to be real interesting because you're starting off with a baseline of two players who can't and won't shoot. You're talking about two guys who get 80-plus percent of their shots within five feet of the basket. You've got to be real careful on the other three people you put on the floor around them, Um, whether that's Mike Scott, whether that's Seth Green, or Seth Curry, Seth Green, Danny Green, playing yeah. the two. Philadelphia's <laughs> own. That would be a. <laughs> uh, but what about Seth Curry, Danny Green? Like you cannot like. It's going to be real interesting watching Terrence Ferguson and Matisse Thybul try to get minutes if they're not making shots. And both of them can occasionally make shots. You know, Ferguson has had some not good years shooting the ball, but not terrible years shooting the ball. Matisse made some shots at various points of the season last year, but there's just not there's not very much leeway for them to go on stretches where they either won't shoot or can't make them because like I said, that starting point is real tricky. So it will be interesting to see how they complement those two. Um, like I said, you're, you're expecting uh, Dwight Howard to be tied to Simmons almost completely because the other option is Dwight Howard playing alongside of Joel Embiid. And that's fucking terrifying. Well, not according to, to ESPN. ESPN or, yeah, I know. I mean, and, and I'm not going to give him too much crap, but that was that was pretty funny. I don't know. You, you should know. have had a basketball person check that graphic. For yeah, sure, for sure. It'll 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 be interesting. And like you said, Mike Scott, not um not the most consistent player in the world, but at the end of the year, he's probably going to make thirty six to forty percent of his three point shots, and that will um you know if he does that that, I mean that's you need that you need the one thing he can do you need. So we will see whether or not the departure of Al Horford opens up some minutes for him. Also played for Doc Rivers in yep. Los Angeles, so there there is some level of familiarity there. And I wonder when the Sixers were making these moves, if you know Maury and Rivers had the conversation like, "Hey, are you comfortable with playing this guy? Because there's a chance you're going to have to for a decent amount early in the season." Yeah, it's a it's been a funny off season in that I you know I like what the Sixers have done in kind of in listening 
to different podcasts and reading up, it seems like pretty much around the, you know, the basketball media, people have been pretty impressed by what they've done, not only with their, uh, you know, with their front office and, and coaching staff and getting, getting Maury and Rivers, but also what they were able to do with the roster and, and getting a team that makes more sense on paper, including the, uh, I guess, the assumed starting five, which would be uh, which would be Simmons, Curry, Green, Harris, and Embiid. Yep. But, you know, while they have a decent amount of shooting even beyond that and, and some defense with Matisse and, and a what could be a decent backup center in Dwight. And by the way, I got a, I got a kick out of Dwight's zoom press conference him. uh, First off, like he, (laughs) he said some pretty good stuff in my opinion about like how his ego got in his way in the past. Uh, You know, and again, is that going to transfer over to the court? We'll see, you know, like I, uh, I would go into this with uh, an open mind and, and ready for, uh, for whatever, because Dwight has a history of uh, not always being Mr. Chemistry, but he it could he, go like last year, or it could go completely off the rails, and that is the beauty of Dwight Howard. Yep. Yeah, and but like the idea, he his idea of sacrificing and um, his ego getting in the way in the past, and how you know he really tried to set things right in L.A. last year, and to his credit, he did a great job. But while he was giving kind of these profound sage quotes. He was also like eating Chinese food or something like that. And (laughs) (laughs) he was in a restaurant, which, uh, which was hilarious. I mean, that's, that's NBA journalism in the year 2020. Uh, so yeah, I I guess to get back to the, uh, to the original point I was making about, uh, about the roster making sense, the roster does make sense. The rotations are a little bit weird because there are, there's positional overlap, I would say. Um, and, and I would just wonder like, how much shooting are you going to need on those Simmons Howard lineups? Like is Seth Curry gonna have to play with those groups? Because to me, he's probably the best option for backup point guard. Which again, that's another position that the Sixers didn't really fill. Um, you know, unless you think Derek Walton is gonna be able to break through, I'm not uh, not as optimistic on that. But you know, so so they'll have some options to start the year. But it'll certainly uh, it'll certainly be a kind of goofy mishmash group earlier in the year. And, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I think the other part of this that's interesting is when I was doing that exercise, I was using the rotation template that we have seen for the past three or four years. Like there was, we we had an institutional knowledge of how the, the Brett Brown previous front office, how they would handle things like rotations. This very likely could be a lot different. And, uh, you know, I, I think like, the general idea of staggering your stars, that's probably not going to go away completely. Sure. Like yep. that's like analytically, generally that's the right thing to do. Um, so, so it's not to say that Daryl Morey is going to just change things for the sake of changing them. Especially when your two stars are a tough fit together. Yeah. So, you know, so we'll see. I, I mean, I, I, I certainly am very excited to watch that, uh, that starting lineup, but you know, how, how Milton and Thibel and, you know these other guys off the bench, like like how they slot in, will be of uh, will be of interest because it's not the uh, there's going to be some goofy lineups on on opening night, I would say. Yeah, as you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball 
and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic Plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. Now, there is, I mean, like you said, some of the fit concerns, and I mean, who runs back a point? Like, how much can you expect out of you know, Shake Milton, who had a, an incredible finish this season. How much can you get out of uh, Tyrese Maxey early on in his Sixers career? Yep. There's a lot of, of question marks. Where if I mean, if one or two of these break the right way, it could all start making sense quicker than you would expect. But it is going to be, um, you know, something to watch. It is. It is. This is not a finished product. I think. That, I think we have to be very clear on that. You know, I think a lot of people are excited, and and rightfully so. Like you went from a really uncertain, uneasy sort of front office structure to getting someone who has a kind of stability and track record where you can believe in what he's going to do. But it was still like he's he's been on the job for a month and he warned you that like he's probably going to, you know, take some time to get a finished product out there. It is, you know, it'll be great to see if if Maxi or um, Shake pop, then maybe you don't have to go out there and be as desperate at the trade deadline. But it, it, I mean, he's he's looking at it where he can come in from a position of more knowledge in a couple of months' time, and um, you know, it is on the one hand, you know, someone like Tyrese Maxey has had a long time to prepare leading up to the draft, but on the other hand, he has a very short time to then turn around and get to know his teammates. I mean, we're talking about a training camp that's like what five days long, and then you have two preseason games, and then boom, you're playing games that matter. It will be interesting to see how that impacts the rookie class. You know, I'm not sure Tyrese Maxey specifically is somebody who is, you know, a lot of times when you see the the rookies who may be outside of the the top five, top 10 picks, because they're going to bad teams and they're given a lot of rope that teams going to someone like the players going to teams like the Sixers don't. But when you see players outside of the lottery sort of pop really quickly, it tends to be off ball shooters um, and specifically tall off ball shooters who can get their shot off against NBA, you know, they need their teammates to get open and then they can make it. A lot of times that can translate quickly or just the real, you know, people with real elite physical profiles, whether that's elite size, elite length, or just athletically somebody who's next level. Um, Tyrese Maxey doesn't really fit any of those archetypes, really. Like he's a decent athlete. He's not a Russell Westbrook athlete by any stretch. He has decent size, you know, 6'3", 6'6", wingspan, but he doesn't have like, it's not unique in any way. Um, he sort of has to get to his spots 
uh, figure out how to navigate around NBA size as jumpers are question mark coming in. So we will see what he can contribute right away. It is, I think it's, it's probably a tougher year for him to do that than a normal year. Um, and if not, like, how much can you rely on Seth Curry? How much, or Seth Green, as I, I said earlier, how much can he sort of, because he's maybe in the right role for him. And look, Dallas was, because of how many options they had, maybe the right role for anyone of his skill set. But how much can playing alongside Simmons and Embiid pretty much the entire time, how much can that, can you rely on him to maybe do a little more than he had in the past, even if not in usage in the minutes? Um, because I think he's going to be real important to both Simmons and Embiid. So it will be interesting. You know, I think this is a roster, like we said, that makes a lot more sense, but it is going to take some time. I think there are a couple more moves away from really when you look at it going, okay, now that makes sense. That's a team that I think can make a big jump over where they were last year. Yeah. And Maxi, you know, the idea of him, him jumping in is something that, you know, we just, we just don't know at, at this point. And do you remember in 2011, how the Sixers started that season? Cause that, that is what I think is the closest analog to what they're going to do. It's obviously not the, the same. The lockout shortened, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. not the same, you know, there, there weren't, there wasn't a deadly virus going around the country, <laughs> but in terms of like, how uh how compressed the season was and when we got started it was right around the same time as christmas uh if i remember correctly i mean the sixers were awesome when they started that season and the drew and lou and thad and igadala team yeah yeah and, and the the night shift as malik rose used to call it the uh the bench was like you know they they had a bunch of guys like thad and lou I don't know. I it was that coming off the bench at that point. I, I forget. And and Vooch was a rookie and he was getting time. They yeah, had a, not not a whole lot of time though. Yeah. Well, Doug, Doug did not like him. Lavoy Allen was on. He he was getting some time. Doug, Mister Five Hundred. Yep. Yeah. And and that crew obviously you know as we're rattling off a lot of these names, some of them are still in the NBA, but some of them you know they're they're not, and they they weren't exactly stars at that time. No. And they uh they got off to a great start that year. Like I remember there were a couple homestands when, you know, they were playing back to back to back games and they were rolling teams. And I think the theory for that was at the beginning of the year, they had continuity. Right. They brought back basically the same team that they had the previous year and really yeah. the core of the team that they had, had for a few years at that point. And, you know, Iguodala was on that team as well. Um and they they lost steam as the season went along yep. and they, and they got lucky in the playoffs when Derek Rose and Joakim Noah got hurt and still, uh, still almost lost that series anyway. But like, I, I remember I, I would say in like January, they were awesome in, uh, in by March and April, they were pretty shitty, honestly. And I wonder with this group, I mean, they're, they're reworking this roster and obviously the, the fit is better. Now they have a couple of guys in Curry and green who, you know, more or less, you're just looking to uh, to knock down open shots. So you would hope that would translate pretty quickly. But I would also not rule out that uh, even though Ben and Joel and Tobias are here, it might might take them a little little while to get started. Just because, like you said, I mean, they're they're going to have what five practices. Yeah. No, I remember. I remember that team well. Um, were you you weren't at LB yet, right? No. So the big the big debate there was whether or not the Sixers and Doug Collins was going to, um, you know, be fooled into thinking that team is actually good because they had that early season success, because they had advanced to the second round of the playoff because of those injuries. It was a, 
real concern. And then they went out there and they traded for Andrew Bynum right after that season. Uh, and that obviously did not work out how anyone wanted it. But the good news that we all thought at the time was that they didn't get fooled. So when you bring that all back up, it is, I mean, it, it was a weird season. It was weird because it, it, you know, you sort of jumped right into it. It was weird because it was shortened. I think that was what, like 66 games. And the, you're right. Like, I think continuity will help teams, especially because, I mean, we just had fucking free agency a week ago. Like, teams that are, are, are and we're going to be playing now games in three weeks. Like, teams that had pretty massive turnover, it, it's natural for them not to be on, um, you know, all on the same page when a season starts. It's just, it's too much. It, it's hard enough when you have a full training camp and a full preseason. It's going to be even more difficult now. So it will be interesting. You know, I think the Sixers, because, you know, you have a couple pieces here in Simmons and Bede and Harris who aren't changing. Maybe they'll be okay. Like most of the players who you're integrating are role players. Like it shouldn't be that tough to integrate Danny Green, not Seth Green, Danny Green into the rotation. He's sort of like, you know, a supersized version of um, Glenn Robinson. Now, granted, that didn't go all that well last spring. So maybe maybe it's more difficult than we're giving him credit for. But it's like stand in the corner and defend your ass off. Uh, but someone like Seth Curry, I think, will be a little bit tougher to integrate. Again, though, like put him in a high pick and roll. Like that's something Doc likes to do, something Seth likes to do. So we will see how that works out. One uh, one, one, one quick note while I we go back to our Liberty Ballers days. Uh, go check out Dave Reuter's new book about the yes. forgotten 76ers. Um, where si- is Ben Rivera on Twitter? Go, go si- buy that. Go support him. He's awesome. A Sixers odyssey exploring the forgotten players yes. of 76ers yesteryear. Dave is an OG Liberty Ballers writer. I wonder what percentage of our listeners even knew we were at Liberty Ballers. I wonder I wonder how many are OG Derek and Rich listeners, Sixers beat listeners. I don't know. We could we could go back through the through the years and explain. Oh, our, we're not uh, we're not releasing any of those old po- podcasts. Dear God no. Dear God no. No, no, no. I'm talking about we we could go through the genesis of you know, real GM and <laughs> Depressed press fan, fan. <laughs> and and all the places that we went when the Sixers were painfully mediocre and uh, not the following was not as big as it is now as they've been one of the more interesting teams in the in the league. I will say that old LLB crew, me and you obviously have jobs. Kyle has a job. Michael Bauman, um, Jake Fisher, Jake Shame, Pavorsky, James Dave Clancy. Reuter now is a book. Seamus Clancy, a lot of uh, Roy Burton. Lot, yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. A lot of um, and and Mike Levin. A lot of 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 unique writers. That was a a, a fun time. Of Mike my, Bauman. Yeah, I'm just. I, I just said, keep... I said Mike Bauman. I said it. I oh, my bad. My bad. Uh, but a lot of a lot of unique writers. It was it was in my my pre Sixers writing career back when I was still doing technology shit. Fun times. All right. Anyway, moving on to the future, not the past. What is is sort of like your biggest concern for the team going forward? Going forward? And, well, no, I I phrase that poorly. What is your biggest concern for the team in the the pre-trade deadline ability to compete? Probably a lack of perimeter creation. You know, that, that's yeah. that's the the big thing. I mean, that's the same concern I would have about them in the playoffs too. You know, it, it's funny. I do think it's worth pointing out. Let's say that th- that is their starting lineup. It's uh. 
it's Green, Curry, Simmons, uh, Harris, and, and Embiid. The only the only real possible change there would be Shake, right? Yeah, I, I could see that. Or, I mean, if you wanted to go crazy and you just wanted to put the cork in there, just to ba- <laughs> just to balance out the the bench lineups. I don't think I, mean, look, I wouldn't here, do that. But here's here's what I'll say: like last year, come at this point, I didn't think Corkster had a, a chance of being an NBA player at this time. Like if if you would have taken me back to we're, we're in November, right? No, November 2019, and said, "Is is Corkmaz in December 2020? Is Corkmaz going to be in the in the NBA?" I would have said no. So if you're telling me he can make another jump, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, no, good I, on him. I wouldn't. I wouldn't start him though. I would. I would certainly have him in the rotation at this point. And I know some people in the uh, in the comment section of that post didn't agree, and that's fine. That's fine. The uh, as Brett used to say, the the gym will speak, and and if he sucks, then he won't be in the rotation. But but if you have that lineup and you you look at it as we've said you know over the past few pods, you have a lineup that uh, that resembles the 2017-18 crew yeah. that you know just just killed the league with honestly like Danny Green is pretty similar to Robert Covington right good team defender streaky catch and shoot guy Seth Curry fairly similar to JJ Redick obviously doesn't run a million miles an hour off screens but can do a little more off the bounce and is an amazing shooter in his own right. Like, and then, you know, Tobias is better than Dario is, but you know, you, you roughly have the, the same type of roles that you had on that, that, uh, that team. I will say like, as much as we pined to get back to that last season, when the starting lineup was running into each other and the, on the offensive end, and, and it was a worthwhile move, uh, or series of moves by Daryl Morey to, get back to that crew. It's also worth revisiting why the Sixers pivoted from that group. And if we remember correctly, right? Like at the beginning of the 2018, 19 season, they weren't as good. They, they struggled, but, but the big thing, and, and it's funny, like with all of the crazy stuff that happened during the process, whether it was, you know, faults for getting out of shoot, the Colangelo's wife hopping on Twitter, everything, all of these things that are just abnormal for a for a basketball team. One of the more impactful on court things that happened, I think, was the uh, was the 2018 series loss to Boston, because the Sixers and I think they rightfully saw this. That crew that they had was really, I mean, they were awesome in the regular season. Did an excellent job of disposing of Miami in the first round when when people thought, hey, Miami might have a little more experience. But in the second round, Boston was a slightly undermanned team. I think they probably had more depth than we knew at that point. They really kind of had the foundation of the team that they've had the past few years. They had all of these wing defenders that made the Sixers put the ball on the floor and made them create shots. And I think when you look at this current team, you just wonder who that player is. you know. And I yep. think, like, look, that's why they went and got Jimmy Butler. The, the most valuable skill in basketball, in my opinion, it, especially in playoff basketball, which is what matters most, is the ability to create your own shot against a set defense in the half court. It's hard as shit to do. And that's why Jimmy seems to get better every one of these playoffs, because he, you know, whatever you want to say about him, he can do that at a high level. And I just wonder, like, hey, maybe the Sixers can get back to smoking teams in the regular season. But but this idea of like who is going to be the person when 
a possession bogs down because, you know, like, look, when we left Embiid, he was like, yeah, my post-ups in the playoffs, they can't work. They, we we got to do something differently. Ben Simmons, I think a lot of people were like, oh man, look at how valuable he is. Well, guess what? He would have struggled in the playoffs too at some point yep. offensively because he hasn't made the necessary adjustments to his game. So that would be, that's my long-winded way of saying, you know, maybe it's Shake, maybe it's Maxi, maybe Ben or Joe figure some stuff out. And it's a combination of all of this stuff and and maybe Doc does a better job scheming things up. I don't know. But that is certainly my biggest uh, concern heading into the season. Yeah, I mean, the, the hope, you know, I think a lot of people, you'll hear a lot of people on online, on Twitter, uh, on radio. Well, they're, they're relying on Ben Simmons more now. They need they need to put the ball in Ben Simmons' hands and have him create. And it sounds a lot like what we said after. And I mean, this is something that I think if you go back and listen, like we cautioned against, like, just because they're relying on Ben Simmons more does not mean he's ready to take that step. But this sounds a lot like what was said back when they let Jimmy Butler go. And, you know, Ben, look, and to Ben's credit, like he started making some progress there in the second half of the season. February, March specifically, he was attacking the rim harder than he he maybe ever had. But they need him, not just with the jumper, they need him to attack the rim. Especially like those lineups, again, with with, um, Dwight are going to be real interesting. If you go back, and this is, is going back to giving Dwight credit for accepting his role a little bit more, which he did. Like they cut post-ups almost completely out of his arsenal with oh, the Lakers. God, his post-ups were even, even in his prime. What, what a player he was. My God, his post-up game was terrible. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't quite know how bad the thing that saved Orlando back in the day was they had so many shooters. They had a four out and they were a little ahead of their time in that regard, but that allowed him to kick it out a little more because if it was just straight man to man post-up, yeah, that could have gotten ugly. But they cut that almost completely out of his game with the Lakers. He got his, his offense off of cuts, off of offensive rebounds, off of rim running, and moving without the ball. Well, with the Sixers, like you need somebody to force a defense to rotate for that to really happen. Like You need Ben Simmons to attack the rim and try to dr- suck up that defender. So Howard has a little bit of room behind him to operate both for the lob, for a, you know, dump off for an offensive rebound. If that defender doesn't, you know, if if Simmons is just going to floater his way to death, um, that's not going to be there quite as much. So Simmons has to make a growth. He needs to create more offense for himself. He needs to create more offense off the bounce and attack the rim. And obviously he needs to grow as a shooter, which, um, you know, every media appearance I do, that's almost guaranteed to be asked. And it's like, I have no freaking idea if he's going to shoot this year. Like it's not a, repetition or a muscle memory or a skill set even at this point it's just it's a confidence and how the hell am I going to predict when that confidence will materialize in a game action I don't know but it, it's beyond that like he does need to attack more he does need to be stronger near the rim he does not need to not be afraid going to the free throw line and he um he needs to grow and he look I've always sort of I don't want to say I, I gave him a pass for not growing offensively but I've always tried to look at the full picture and what he's developed into defensively, which is usually the side of the court that you have to worry about a player developing. You don't usually have to worry about them having confidence offensively. I give him a lot of credit for what he's done defensively. He's really become one of the most versatile, high-impact defenders in the league. They need the next version, not an incremental improvement. They need the next version of Simmons offensively in order for the shot creation and half-court offense to not be a problem in the playoffs. And it goes beyond shooting. Yeah, and I I do think giving him the ball more with these catch and shoot guys, like like he can rev up the drive and kick game. 
it'll be easier for him to create now than when Al Horford was on the court for sure. Yeah. And, and, and it, Al Horford alongside Joel Embiid, I mean. And and you think back to his rookie year, you know, when Embiid went down after he uh he ran his face ran into Fultz's shoulder. The um the drive and kick game that Ben had with like Bellinelli and Reddick, and of course those guys were literally shooting fire out of their butt. They were they were <laughs> I mean they were the, the the shot making from from pretty much all over the court was insane during that run. But you know the, the idea of Ben with space, like he he didn't have that last season. Uh, and as much as his um, I'd like to see him get to the free throw line more, and obviously grow as a shooter. Th- there is going to be a that that can be ratcheted up just by having better personnel on the floor. Like he's going to play with a um a high motor at all times. It's just, yes. Is he, is he attacking at that level? And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious how it works with Dwight. Can, um, is, is that going to be a situation? I, I think it might be where, okay, Ben and Dwight can, can handle the defense and they can also play pretty fast, but is that going to be something where you're going to need like shake Seth yep. Curry and green yeah, green yeah. on the court? And, and maybe, maybe you need that and maybe it's awesome, you know, and maybe, Embiid can just deal with whatever he uh, what he has in those units, but yeah, it just I I don't know the, who's going to get them a shot. Like who can create and pick and roll? I think you know when when everybody pointed out like the the Doc Rivers that looking at his past teams, it's, oh man, he runs a lot of pick and roll. Yeah, he's got Lou Williams and Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard, and Shea Gilgis Alexander, and Chris Paul. Chris Paul. Yeah, it's yeah. like well, the Sixers don't have that, so. Uh, you know, and and it, I am very confident that if Brett Brown had Chris Paul, he would have run more pick and roll. Very confident. I think that's that's probably true. And you know, maybe it's like you look at Shake and Maxi. Maybe they Shake takes a step up, or or Maxi's just better than we thought right away, and that would be very cool. But it's something I don't think you can count on. I do think like when you listen to uh, to Maury and Rivers talk, Shake's going to have a really big role. That's, yeah. I mean, it is, you just don't have that many players who can create off the dribble and shake, you know, I think we saw he's like, he's, he's going to struggle at times in the playoffs with some of the better defenders, but he has that skill set where, you know, if he's being covered by the third best defender on the other team, he's going to be able to find some success and he can play that on off ball role. Uh, He can play that off ball role with, with Embiid. He can play that with Simmons at the elbow. Like he can, you can do a lot of stuff with shake and, I mean, look, he was shooting the ever-living shit out of the ball pretty much from the time he entered the rotation back in February until the season ended in August, which, again, it's weird to say. Um, yeah, no, I think he's going to have a, a, a sizable role. It'll be... The, the ones I, I, I wonder about are... Because of the way we just brought it up, like, you almost have to sell out in both lineups, really, on shooting around him. Um, and my, my concern is that, okay, well, you know, because of, of the starting point of Simmons and Dwight, that in the Embiid lineups, maybe that's when you try to get sneak a couple of non-shooters or streaky shooters in alongside him, and then you make Embiid's life a little more difficult than it has to be because you've got Dwight on the other side as the backup. You know, it'll be interesting to see guys like Matisse and, like I said, Ferguson, whether or not you can find them consistent minutes. Yeah, and whether or not they can, uh, you know, play off of Embiid. It, it's tough with Matisse, like. Because Matisse and Ben were really interesting because they could just force turnovers and get out in the break. But putting him alongside Ben and Dwight, like that's starting to get a little iffy. So 
you, it'll be interesting. You could deal with the Matisse Ben little bit of a lack of shooting there when Horford was Horford, the yeah. center and and he could space the floor and that uh in in doing that exercise at the uh, at the athletic it it's going to be it's going to be tricky some of those rotations like they don't you're going to have to if this is the exact roster you are going to have to make some sacrifices in some places whether that be shooting size ball handling defense like there's some there, there was no perfect uh, way to put the puzzle pieces together. Yep. No, I mean, look, Dwight, especially if, if he buys into his role, gives you effort, even at 34 going on 35, I think he turns 35 in a couple of days here, he is overqualified for that, you know, 15-minute-per-game backup role. He can he, he can succeed in that role, and as a minimum signing, you've removed any risk if he doesn't accept that role. Yeah, just— but, even though he's overqualified, there is still a little bit of, well, that, that's not the greatest fit in the world. No. And and the other thing that, uh, that Maury brought up, I, I don't know, I guess it was a couple weeks ago about how he thought, oh man, we can play these, these small ball lineups. Well, I don't see that with this roster yep. right now. Like if you're talking about not playing one of Joe Embiid, Dwight Howard, Tony Bradley at center, I, I, I mean, I guess they can try it. Like, I'm all for experimentation, but uh, I certainly, uh, I've seen enough of Ben Simmons at center in the past. And we've seen enough of, like, Mike Scott at center, too. Seen Mike Scott at center. Now, again, like, maybe there is some scheme that that you might be able to do a little bit more of a switching-type scheme. Here's the problem, though. The Sixers have a lot of smaller guards. Like, if you told me Ben Simmons at center was going to work— I would need like a couple PJ Tucker guys that that would be able to switch with him and yep. and keep their players uh, in front of them one on one. And the Sixers in getting all of this shooting, I don't think they've brought in like lockdown individual defenders. Danny yeah. Green is a good defender, but he's like a Covington type. He's not he's not gonna gonna lock somebody down one on one in the way Ben might. Yep. You know. So I, I do not see the. The smog ball, Mike Scott group uh, succeeding. Maybe they'll, they'll try it though, and uh, and they can uh, they can point. We'll point it out if uh, look if I'm wrong. With Daryl, anything's up in the air. Like you could see Mike Scott lining up from 35 feet, and uh, we could go that way. Uh, we'll we'll see. Any anything is on the table. All right, let's close this out by talking about the two way guys a little bit. Any real thoughts on uh, Dakota Matthias and Paul Reed? Matthias, not Matthias. Matthias. I will get that right. Yeah, I'll go with Paul Reed. I mean, I guess to uh, to answer kind of the last thing I was talking about, if Paul Reed hits right away, maybe he's the small ball center, you know, but obviously he's on a two-way contract. Although, and I should have looked this up, I do believe two ways are allowed to be with the team more than they are in the past, they have in the past. Uh, that was part of the, I think, the, the renegotiation. And who knows, maybe that's one of the reasons to keep uh, part of the taxpayer MLE sitting around like maybe if he pops you can use that to convert him to a, an nba contract too yeah so so he, he he'll be with the team i mean i don't even know what what are they doing with the g league this year i think that's still being negotiated on on how that'll work uh it's obviously lower on the list of uh priorities compared to uh compared to nba basketball yeah maybe maybe it's paul reed and paul reed is you know i'm not sure of him as a, a shooter necessarily in in watching him i mean not not the worst looking shot in the world, but you know the numbers are what they are. I believe yeah. like he's like a low thirties guy who uh, who's had, had to even improve to get to that level. But as we talked about a, a couple weeks ago, 
just an insanely versatile defender. You know, somebody yep. whose stock numbers are are insane and seems like somebody who might be able to switch. And, and what was he, like 2.6 blocks and 1.9 steals or something crazy like yeah, that? Yeah, crazy. And he was somebody that the, the analytics community had targeted as maybe somebody who was undervalued. And to get him on a two-way, that's that's good. I think we, we suspected that, that that would be the case, you know, just doing the math on – all right, they have these many roster spots. It's the 58th pick, too. Like, if you're going to take a college guy there, it's probably going to be a two-way. And there's yeah. there's been a lot of players selected in the back yeah, half I mean, of the second round who were on two ways. So, well, uh, Shake Milton, Shake Milton was on a two-way his first year, and then they converted him to what I think they converted him to a four-year deal with like three years guaranteed. And at the time, I was like, "Whoa, you're guaranteeing three years for Shake Milton?" And it turned out to be one of their better moves uh, of that front office. So, yeah, the fact that he is a two-way. Yeah, um, great move. <laughs> not 100% sure if it is a one-year or two-year, two-way. You expect it's probably a two-year, two-way where they have this year or next year to convert that to an NBA contract. Um, he will have a chance to show himself. He will have, probably have a chance to come up here and play uh, with the big club at times. I'm sure they will want to get to see how he performs. Um, he's, what, 22, I want to say? Like, he's not a young kid, but he's still developing, still growing into his skill set. Uh, and like you said, just real big defensive versatility. So we will see how that turns out. Uh, Matthias, one of the quickest, most repeatable releases you will see, like he really has one of the purest strokes that you'll find super quick, super repeatable, can get it on the move, can pump fake dribble into a next shot, can come off of a screen, just real, real picture. Perfect. The problem is he sort of looks like physically he should be playing in the YMCA. Um, (laughs) He really does. (laughs) I don't and look. He's a he's a good player. I remember him in college. He was oh yeah no. He's a tough guard, but yeah, he good just, year at Purdue. Uh, went over, played, had some success in the ACB. Like that's a good league. Um, had success with the Texas Legends in the G League, but there he it does look like one of those like four A type players where like there's just a point where it's like all right, like yeah, you've got like all the craft in the world, and he's a pretty like pesky defender, and he knows what he's doing, and he gives effort and. Like the release is so quick that he, maybe he can get that off in the NBA, but like there's just a point where you go, I don't know physically. Like it, it just might be too much to overcome, and I do worry that that is the case here. It is on a two-way contract. There's no risk. Like I said, you'll go and you'll find YouTube of him shooting, and you'll be like, holy! Like we get access to synergy, and like shooting is one of those things where like if you get going with the right shooter, you can just be mesmerized. And before you know it, like we have things where it'll play like 200 shooting clips in a row. Before you know it, you're at like the end of 200. You've just been watching this kid shoot for all, all that time. He's like that. You can, like, before a game, I'm sure we will go there if we're ever allowed to go back to games and just be mesmerized with his ability to shoot. But the rest of the game, specifically defensively, I just don't know how it's going to work. So go watch his YouTube, get excited, but keep a little bit of a skeptical eye because I'm not sure it's going to work in the NBA. But good, it looks like a good kid and, and certainly a good shooter. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at his stats, 40% from three on nine attempts per game. I rounded yeah. up a little bit on both of those, but they are close. Um, you know, obviously the G League. I mean, he you, was like a 45, 46% shooter at Purdue. Like he was knocked down. Yeah, he shot 42% over his four years and he got better as as he went along too. And on, on some legitimate volume, almost five per game too, which is a lot for a college player. Yeah. So last few years, 45, 46.7. Yeah. Yep. He, uh, it's funny that they brought him in. He feels just like another shot at a Shayok type, you know, a, a very talented shooter 
who uh, who might not have the athleticism. In, in Jack his... at least had a little more size, though. Yeah, but he also probably was even a little he bit slower. Yeah. yeah. So not a bad guy to have a two way. Again, I don't know what's going on with the uh, with the G League, but good uh, good mix between the two in terms of you know you, you have one hyper athletic guy and another guy who could just shoot the hell out of the ball. All right. Sounds good. I think that's probably about all that I have. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think by the time we do our next one, like we, we might be in training camp or. Well, we might not be, but the Sixers might be in training. Camp. Oh, like, and physically we're not even going to be close to, to training camp. They're <laughs> like, they're not, they're not going to let us. They, they don't, they're not paying for our, our PCP tests or, or, right. or. All right. Sounds good, Rich. We will talk to you soon. And thanks for hopping on. All right, man. See you. I did that backwards. I always say thanks for hopping on. We'll talk to you soon. That threw me off. Anyway, take care.